Welcome to Table Lore, a storytelling podcast providing background lore for tabletop role-playing games, or a podcast to fall asleep to. Whatever brings you here, we're just glad that you're here. I'm your co-host, Megan. And I'm your other co-host, Cass. Before we begin, remember that Table Lore is a fictional storytelling podcast, and while sometimes we will explore real legends, nothing we say should be treated as fact. This week, we're going to Georgia. Sup. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm peachy. Yeah, we're feeling pretty blissful because we just spent several hours at this beautiful lake. and just floating, chilling, vibing in the lake water. Yeah, Megan was chilling and floating. I was swimming and being all kinds of goofy in the water. He's a lake boy. It was a very good time. So, we're going to Georgia today, Cass. I love Georgia. Have you been to Georgia before? No, <laughs> I love Georgia because my aunt had a golden retriever named Georgia. And then so naturally for my fourth grade state showcase, I chose Georgia and I did a, a whole research project on it. And I had to create my own little shoebox float that we did a parade around the whole elementary school in. And I made little peaches out of Play-Doh and I was very proud of myself. Wow, that I knew you were cool. But now I know undoubtedly that you are cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any personal connections to Georgia? Um, I think like other people who travel often, we've all been to the Atlanta, Georgia airport at least once. I have been blessed to have traveled through the Atlanta, Georgia airport many a times. But beyond that, I hear Georgia's lovely, but I have not been outside of the airport. Mm. Is ATX any good? How does, how does it rank in terms of airports? In terms of airports, it's a pretty decent airport. They have a really fun little like subway system that gets you from terminal wow. to terminal. I don't have much to say about it. I, I haven't spent a lot of time in the airport. I've always just made mad dashes from gate to gate at this airport, unfortunately. Oh, that is unfortunate. Maybe yeah. sometime we'll have to go to Georgia, check out what national parks they have there. Mm-hmm. Did you stumble upon any national parks in your research? No, I didn't. I read about some national forests, but... Oh, that's like the next best thing to a national park. That is the next best thing. I know something that you found during your research. Oh yeah, what's that? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about some real folklore that we discovered during the research process. Yeah, this week when I was diving into some of the local Georgia folklore, I did find something that really piqued my interest. And so we took that as a base and really ran with it, but gave it a twist. So I'm excited to explore it. So we're not going to give it away yet, but know that that's what's coming. Yeah. And also today is going to be a little different because usually we improv these shows a lot more but today we wanted to explore with writing out our whole script and our whole story so we're just gonna see how that goes and see how that feels today 
Yeah, so we're going to be reading our story to you today. So we'll begin, as usual, with setting the scene. Our story today takes place in the present day, so 2022, in northern Georgia. The Blue Ridge of the Appalachian Mountains cuts through this area, which is generally densely forested and rainy. Summer temperatures average about 80 degrees, but on the day our story takes place, it's closer to 70, which makes for a very pleasant day to be out walking. Today, 67-year-old Dennis takes his 9-year-old granddaughter Harper, who has recently arrived to stay with him for a few weeks, on an easygoing hike through the Chattahoochee Okani National Forest. Harper is a sprightly young girl, very curious about everything, and can be a handful at times. Currently, her dark hair is slicked into two perfect boxer braids that her mom lovingly fixed this morning. She has on her lucky charm bracelet that she wears every day, which was a birthday present from her favorite aunt many years ago. Harper lives with her parents in a suburb of Atlanta, but for a few weeks every summer, her family drives up to Blue Ridge to spend time with Papa and Nana. They spend time playing outside, watching movies together, and Harper's favorite activity, going on walks with Papa. This is her favorite activity because it's the one thing she gets to do by herself, just with Papa, who always has wild stories to tell. Papa Dennis is also pretty sprightly. Recently retired, he spends his time repairing and rebuilding old and broken machinery. A mechanical engineer by trade, Dennis has always been very handy. But some days he enjoys going out and exploring new forest trails and fishing spots. He's a tall, slender guy who has sported the same goatee-style beard for the last 40 years. Dennis has the kind of laugh that booms across the room, and his lively presence makes even the most boring events fun. Dennis decides Harper is old enough to try out a slightly longer walking trail in the Chattahoochee Okani Forest, which Dennis's home borders. Having spent a lot of time on the trail, Dennis has the perfect stories lined up for Harper, one that draws from some of the local lore, which Dennis thinks is purely entertainment and nothing that he takes too seriously. The trail is marked by gravel, which crunches beneath their shoes as they, lo- as they walk along the trail. The sun shines bright above them in a bright blue sky. It's really the most ideal day. Humidity levels are low, temperatures are moderate, and if Dennis didn't know it was the middle of June, he might mistake this for an early spring day. Taking a deep breath of fresh mountain air, Dennis tells Harper, who is happily bopping along the trail with him, his first story of the day. Dennis begins to describe a huge, hairy, ape-like beast that lurks in the forests of this area, probably at least 10 feet tall, and stronger and stealthier than any predator. He claims that sightings of this beast have been reported many times, but that he has not personally witnessed the beast himself. When Harper questions the validity of his story, Dennis assures her that although he has never seen the beast with his own eyes, he has come across its tracks during a couple of his walks. He says that the tracks look human-like, but are at least twice the size of even the tallest basketball player's feet. Harper asks for a picture as proof, but Dennis claims that his discoveries of the huge tracks occurred when he was a much younger man, even before Harper's mom was born. Harper's eyes widen in delight as she tells her papa that she hopes they find some tracks on their walk today. 
Dennis and Harper continue walking along the trail, Harper keenly on the lookout for any larger-than-average footprints. Dennis tells her that if they find any prints, they could be in the local newspaper, which really excites Harper. As they continue down the trail, Harper hops off the gravel path into the bushes to check for footprints, occasionally finding deer and squirrel tracks, but nothing quite as ginormous as Papa described. Dennis comforts and assures Harper that even though she hasn't found any footprints yet, there's still plenty of forest to explore, and the creature is extremely good at hiding and covering its tracks. Feeling a little deflated, but still excited, Harper decides to try one more spot, and under some of the brush, she finds a small piece of stone in the shape of a cross. She shows Papa Dennis, who explains that this isn't an ordinary cross. It's a fairy cross. Dennis plucks the stone from Harper's hand and holds it in between his thumb and pointer finger as he explains that fairy crosses occur naturally after a fairy's tears hit the ground. They are pretty rare, but are known to be found in the Blue Ridge area, most typically after it rains, so this one must have really wanted to be found by Harper today. She raises her cupped palm up to her papa, a gesture asking him to give it back to her. Dennis pulls his hand back a few inches before he warns Harper that not all fairies are kind to humans and that actually, fairies can be quite cruel and mischievous. But Harper feels certain that the fairies will be kind to her. After all, they've left this stone for her to find. Dennis places the stone back into Harper's hand and her fist tightens around it as she promises that she will take extra good care of it. The fairies have one very important rule, however, which Dennis points out to Harper, who is listening intently. The fairies who live in this forest care deeply for the nature and their home and will protect it with their lives and do whatever it takes to keep it safe. If anyone mistreats the trail or the forest, the fairies will follow you home and get their revenge. Harper asks what revenge is, and Dennis tells her it's like if she ate one of his cookies, he would have to go to her home and eat one of hers to make it fair. Harper teases that she doesn't want any of his oatmeal raisin cookies anyways, and the pair continues down the trail. After several more minutes of walking, they pass a decaying wooden fence and the trees clear into a wide open meadow full of wildflowers. Dennis lets out a little giggle and takes off running into the meadow and shouts toward Harper, telling her to race him to the other side. And she, of course, wins. Dennis collapses down to the grassy meadow earth, pretending to be out of energy, and teasing Harper about how fast she is. Harper sits next to him, playing with the grass beneath her. She asks him how he knows so much about all these creatures in the forest. He says it's because he's a forest creature, which isn't true, but is exactly the kind of grandpa response he gives to everything. Dennis suggests that they pick some flowers to bring home to Nana, and Harper eagerly agrees. They create a bundle of purple, white, and pink flowers, which Harper carries gently in her left hand, the stone still clutched in her right. They begin walking back towards the trailhead to head back home. But just as the trail comes to an end, Harper shouts excitedly at Dennis, telling him to stop and look at something she's found. He trots toward her in the bushes next to the trail, already equally excited, and sees a single large-ish footprint that resembles a size 12 or 14 Air Jordan shoe, which Harper seems to believe belongs to the creature he described earlier. 
He rubs his chin pensively for a few seconds, then tells her that he thinks she's found a Bigfoot print. Harper bounces up and down from excitement in her seat the whole drive home, and as soon as Dennis parks in the driveway, she shoots out of the truck and into the house to tell her mom and dad about the Bigfoot print immediately. Dennis follows behind and gives Nana a little peck before presenting her with the bouquet, which she puts in a vase on the kitchen table. Nana sends the pair to clean up for dinner, and Harper is back in a flash for counting each of Dennis's stories to everyone. The day ends too quickly for Harper's liking, and before getting into bed, she places her fairy cross on her bedside table next to her lucky charm bracelet so she can look at it in the middle of the night. That night, she dreams of Bigfoots and fairies and wakes up cheerfully anticipating another day with Papa. Shortly after waking up, her mom comes into her room and sits Harper back on the bed. She somberly explains that in the middle of the night, Papa Dennis was taken to the hospital because of a heart attack, and sadly, he didn't survive. Harper feels extremely confused by what her mom has told her. It just doesn't make sense. She and Papa were running around outside just yesterday. There's no way he could be dead. Her mom hugs her tightly and explains that sometimes these things just happen and that there's no rhyme or reason to it. She tells her that it's unfair and that it's okay for Harper to be really sad. Harper's sobs finally slow down enough for her family Harper's sobs finally slow down enough for her to walk out with her mother to the living room where the rest of the family is gathered. She runs up to Nana and gives her a hug and sits on the floor next to her dad. She rests her head on his arm while the adults ponder the circumstances of Dennis's sudden and unexpected death. Nana, between sobs, tells everyone that at his last doctor's appointment three days ago, he was given a perfect bill of health. Harper tried to understand, but not knowing how heart attacks work, she asks if the doctor missed something during the appointment. Her mom says it's possible, but that heart attacks often show no symptoms until it's too late. The phone rings from the kitchen, and Harper watches her dad stand up to answer it. He announces that it's her favorite aunt Dana calling, which normally would have excited Harper, but as she overhears her dad talking about flight plans, her eyes drift to the kitchen table to look at the flowers she and Papa Dennis picked yesterday. Expecting to see the vibrant lilacs and daisies, she is startled to discover that the flowers have wilted and lay blackened and limp inside the vase. More tears spill out of her eyes as she remembers all the fun she had with Papa yesterday, and she jumps up to get her fairy cross from her room, the last memory she has of her grandpa. She walks down the short hallway to her room, running her hand over the old, faded blue striped wallpaper. The house still smells like Papa, which is both comforting and devastating. Harper chokes back tears and speeds up her pace towards the bedroom that once housed her mom and Aunt Dana. And where she she shut the door softly behind her so no one can disturb her and leans against the door for a moment, taking deep breaths. Her mind is loud, her heart is racing, and she can no longer hold in her grief. She trudges over to her nightstand with blurry eyes and reaches out for the comfort of her lucky bracelet, but, but touches solid wood. 
She rubs the tears out of her eyes and focuses on the nightstand. Her bracelet and the fairy cross are nowhere to be found. She runs to the living room and blurts out concern for her missing bracelet, and her mom tells her to go back and look under her bed in case she accidentally knocked it off the nightstand. She does, but with no luck. She begs her mom to come help her look, but both items have vanished. She sits on the bed next to her mom, crying harder than ever, while her mom tries to comfort her. Harper tenses up as she remembers the story Papa told her yesterday about the vengeful fairies, and with panic in her voice, she tells her mom that it's all her fault Papa is dead. Fast forward 10 years, Harper is now 19 years old, a lot taller, a lot stronger, and no less sprightly and chaotic as she was 10 years ago. She has never forgotten the last days she spent with her Papa Dennis wandering the trails in the Chattahoochee Okani National Forest, listening to his stories about Bigfoot and the fairies. Nobody ever believed her when she tried to explain that the fairies killed Papa Dennis as revenge for stealing their flowers from the meadow, damaging their beloved home. Harper believes that they stole her bracelet as a reminder that she too took something from them, the cross, and has always dreamt of finding the fairies and completing the cycle of revenge. Harper has voraciously consumed all of the fairy lore she could for the past decade. She knows that they are tricky and to never tell them her real name, lest they steal that from her too. She knows to remain vigilant about where she walks so as not to accidentally enter a ring of mushrooms and interrupt a circle of fairies dancing and playing, the consequences of which could be fatal. After Papa Dennis's death, she made a vow to return to the forest and find the fairies that did this. She knew that doing this wouldn't bring back her papa, but every night she has laid awake consumed by the guilt that she is the reason Papa is dead that her picking up the stone is what started all of this. The catalyst, if you will. I will. Me too. Harper stands in front of the trailhead, taking a deep breath before entering. She rubs the watch on her left wrist, an heirloom from her papa she wears to replace the lucky bracelet the fairies took from her, reviving the courage to confront the fairies. So what is Harper's plan for the fairies, Cass? Well, I think that she's really going to give it to them. She's going to give it to them? Yeah, I think she's going to hand their ass to them. some fairy booty? <laughs> yeah. No, I really think that she's... Well, here's the, here's the dangerous thing, right? Like, when is the cycle of revenge ever over? Like, she could find them and kill them all, right? But then it's like... What's not to say that that's the end of the revenge cycle, right? Yeah, I suppose we've really set ourselves up for a moralistic story, haven't we? Yeah, is an eye for an eye right or wrong? I guess that's up to you to decide. And is a bouquet equal in life to your dear papa? Well, technically they did murder something living. I suppose, yeah. I don't see a scenario where Harper is just trying to sit down and talk with these fairies about like, hey, what you did was wrong. I see Harper going in there to like really take some vengeance, you know, really fulfill that eye for an eye uh, revenge situation. Um, 
do you think that she's going to be successful? Do you think she will actually find these fairies? Well, I think she's done a, a lot of digging and a lot of research into fairies. So I think if she has found um, what is purported to be the most lethal instruments or weapons against them, I think she would she would take like the most lethal measures. But I don't know. I don't know what, what weapons or what's lethal against fairies, but something really cool, I think, for our audience to explore in their gameplay. We mentioned at the top of the episode, we loosely based some of our ideas for this episode off of some real lore. And we want to make sure we take a couple minutes to kind of honor the actual lore that we adapted today. The fairy crosses are some real Georgia folklore. And in in like the original telling, um, the fairies of northern Georgia in the Blue Ridge in the Appalachian Mountains were told that Jesus Christ had died and they were very upset by this and they cried and then their tears turned into these um, stone crosses. Um, so that's like a telling of this story. But this is a telling of a story to explain a real phenomenon. Um, fairy crosses are real. Um, they're actually starlight. So they are this mineral um, that occurs naturally in this area. And um, every so often you can find these like for real. So you can Google these um, and look at them. Yeah, Google them. They they do look like little like carved stone crosses, but they're, they're not carved. They occur completely naturally which is really cool yeah yeah and then something else that inspired this episode is my own grandpa who was not murdered by fairies but who would take me and some of my cousins on walks in forest and tell us all kinds of fairy tales and little made-up stories and would sometimes try to scare us a little bit with some of the lore in the forest now, can you be absolutely sure that your grandpa wasn't killed by fairies? I suppose there's no way to know. There's absolutely no way to know for certain. There is no way. <laughs> <laughs> just in case any of our audience's grandpas have been murdered by fairies, we would just like to take a brief moment of silence to acknowledge this tragedy. And for those of you still tuned in, we would like to thank you for all of the support that you've shown us as we're getting started. If you'd like to give us a follow over on Twitter and or Instagram, our handle is at TableLorePodcast. We post the occasional update and sneak previews of upcoming episodes. And it's a way for us to be able to interact with you and answer any questions that you might have. You can also send us a message over on our website at tablelorepodcast.com. Feel free to send us a message sharing your gameplay experiences with us and sending any suggestions or questions that you might have about the podcast. Or any other constructive feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what's not working. We'd love to hear it. But don't tell us that you hate us. (laughs) Yeah, don't tell me. I can't handle that. Well, Cass, I think it's time to roll the D100. Today we're going to use some new dice that we bought at our friendly local game store. Huge shout out to your local game store. Uh, You should support yours in your area whenever you can. 
All right, let's roll them dice. What'd you get? All right, we have an 83. Let's see where that takes us. That takes us to the volunteer state of Tennessee. Tennessee? Babe, you're the only 10 I see. Aw, that's cute. Stick around for some gameplay suggestions. Okay, storytellers, now it's your turn to create the rest of the story. Roll a d6 for inspiration about how to continue the story. If you roll a 1 or 2, how does Papa Dennis know all this folklore? You and your party play as young Dennis and his group of friends. What run-ins with the supernatural did they have back in their heyday? Does Dennis have more of a past with the fairies? Was the life debt that was collected about more than the bouquet of wildflowers? If you roll a 3 or 4, you and your group of adventurers meet Herper as she is preparing to track down the fairies. As she recounts her story, you offer to help her in her revenge plot. Do you find the fairies? What happens to Harper after she enters the forest again? And does she ever make peace with her papa's death? If you roll a 5 or 6, you and your party head to Blue Ridge, Georgia to investigate a slew of suspicious deaths. You find a common link between the deceased. Each death occurred the night after visiting the Chattahoochee Okani National Forest. What happened to these people? Was it fairies? If so, what is their motivation behind the killings? 